good to see you guys this morning, and um, glad you're able to make it out today. Um, if you take your Bibles to the book of Colossians, book of Colossians, and uh, here's where we're going to kind of kick off this morning. Um, we are getting close to the end of the first month of 2019. How are those resolutions going? Good? Rock solid? Those goals that you set, kind of taking some uh, steps towards those? They're good? I see like three heads shaking, yes. All right, so the rest of you are normal, all right? It's good. I took some time this, this last week to reflect a little bit on some um, questions like this for me. And one question that kept kind of spinning in my head is I was asking, thinking about resolutions, I was thinking about goals for this year, I was thinking about different things. Uh, the one thought that kept coming back to me over and over and over again um, that I felt like I just needed to answer, right? or I need to answer is this. Thad, what are you passionate about? Like, what captures my affections? Um, where are your passions? There are many things I want to be passionate about, and I think that I am. Um, I want to be pa- passionate about my wife and my kids, right? I, I want to be passionate about my family. I think I am most of the time. No one has to tell me to talk t- to you about them. No one has to remind me to be present with my wife. No one needs to remind me um, how much I care for them and love them. They're, the, they're, they're really at the critical core of my life. I want to be passionate about the church. I think I am. I mean, this imperfect bride of Christ is, is what I've given my life to over the last 20 years. And I work for an organization that we help churches and pastors grow the health and capacity of their churches. I mean, it's natural to me, like breathing, to think about the church. I love the church. Uh, I'm probably too passionate about my sports, if we're honest with ourselves. I don't know if... Who plays golf? Yeah, when I was younger, the night before, like, you're going to play, like, a really nice golf course, it's like you couldn't sleep. It's like you stay awake. It's like Christmas, right? All over again. I got to tell you, um, game seven of the World Series, there may have been some tears I shed. You probably shed different sort of tears. We are Cubs fans, after all. I mean, there are a few things that I enjoy in life more than uh, coaching baseball and softball with my kids or watching them play the different sports that they're involved with. What are you passionate about? I have a full list. I could keep going if we're honest. I'm sure that you have your list as well of things that are passions for you. Maybe it's in your business. Maybe it's um, money. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's, hopefully it's family. Maybe, maybe your passion is a pet. Maybe comfort is your passion. The list can go on and on and on and on. Christian, we all agree, okay, this is like nothing new or revelatory. That the top of our list, we know that there should be someone who has our greatest passion. It's Jesus, right? I desire 
for him to capture all of my affections. You know, this morning we're going to kick off a, a study in the book of Colossians. And what we're going to learn in this book as we walk through this book is it's not going to be new information f- for you. Some of it will, but hopefully most of what we um, um, think about <clears throat> as a really well-taught church, it's something that I believe that we need as a church to help realign our affections. The theme of this book is Jesus. It's Jesus. He's the central thought throughout the book. This book is focused on Jesus, who he is and what he accomplished for us. And our goal throughout this study as we walk through this is to take such a deep, long, purposeful look at him that our lives become aligned to him so that he becomes our greatest passion. So all cards on the table, like my prayer is that after studying this book, I would love Jesus more. And my prayer is that you will love Jesus more. We know Jesus is popular. We may not say it like that, but he is the subject of countless um, quotes, conversations, jokes, ridicule. It's probably fair to say that no person in the history of the world has had more of an impact or has had more books written about him, more songs sung about him. Think about how many songs are sung today around the globe about Jesus. He has numerous TV, radio shows, blogs, websites designated to him. There's no one more famous than Jesus. One author said it like this. He says, at first glance, Jesus' resume is rather simple. He never traveled more than a few hundred miles from his home. He never held a political office, never wrote a book, never married, never attended college, never visited a big city. He died both homeless and poor. Nonetheless, Jesus is the most famous person in all of history. Jesus looms so large over human history that we actually measure time by him. Our calendar is divided into years before and after his birth. No army, nation, or person has changed human history to the degree that Jesus has. So it's, it's so popular. He is so popular that it's hard to find someone who doesn't have an opinion about Jesus, right? Let me just give you a couple examples here. Elton John once said, I think Jesus was a compassionate, super intelligent gay man who understood human problems. On the cross, he forgave the people who crucified him. Jesus wanted us to be loving and forgiving. Fidel Castro, I never saw a contradiction between the ideas that sustained me and the ideas of the symbol of that extraordinary figure of Jesus Christ. How about John Lennon? The Beatles are more popular than Jesus now. You remember him saying that, right? I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. Well, we may agree with him on that one. Mike Tyson said, I'll fight any man, any animal. If Jesus were here, I'd fight him too. Well, careful what you ask for, right? How about LeBron James? Meeting Michael Jordan for me was like black Jesus walking towards me. Well, President, former President Barack Obama, Jesus is a historical figure for me. He's also a bridge between God and man in the Christian faith. 
and one that I think is powerful precisely because he serves as the means of us reaching something higher. He's also a wonderful teacher. I think it's important for all of us of whatever faith to have teachers in the flesh and also teachers in history. See, listen, friends, everyone has an opinion of Jesus. Over 2,000 years later, people continue to talk about him. Did you even know that Jesus has a Twitter handle? It may surprise you that Satan has more followers than Jesus on Twitter. Why does the road, right? <laughs> it's kind of unjust, guys. Don't follow. Follow Jesus, but don't follow him on Twitter, okay? It's not really that good. People continue to question and speculate on who Jesus is, and this is not anything new. Remember when Jesus is walking with the disciples, and they walk into uh, Caesarea, and uh, um, he asked the disciples, hey, guys, who, who, who do people say that I am? And remember the disciples said, well, there's a lot of different answers, Jesus, right? Matthew 16, we hear, they say, well, some say that you're the, um, John the Baptist. Some think you're Elijah. Some say Jeremiah. Some even said that you're just one of the prophets. Uh, you see, even then, people didn't get it. Many still don't, but Christian, we should. We should. He, he's alive through the scriptures. We can see and we can understand who Jesus is. He is our greatest subject of study, Christian. He is, he is the one that we love and pursue the most. He's our main topic of interest. And it is to this subject we turn for the next couple of months as we go through the book of Colossians. This book, is, it's all about Jesus. So my goal this morning is to really set the stage a little bit for what we'll learn in coming weeks. And I want to share some background information, display even, even in the first couple of verses, how we can show how Jesus is everything to the believer. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. <clears throat> Grace to you and peace from God, our Father. This is a uh, normal opening greeting in their culture. When we write letters, where do we put our name as the author of the, the letter? We put it at the end, right? In their culture, they put it at the beginning. Who, and then they talk about who we're intending to write to. So first we learn in the first verse that this book is written by the Apostle Paul with his dear friend Timothy at his side. You probably know this, but let me remind you of a few things. Paul was a guy who hated Jesus. In fact, his name wasn't Paul then, it was Saul. He, he was the guy who was doing everything he could to stop the movement of Jesus. He was doing everything he could to get rid of the followers of Jesus. Jesus infuriated Saul. That is until he approached Damascus on that road where he's going there to persecute more Christians. And Jesus reached down into his life and changed him, right? The events described in Acts chapter 9. <clears throat> From this point, we're told that Jesus is no longer his enemy, but Jesus is everything to him. Saul, who then becomes Paul, goes from hating Jesus to loving Jesus. He goes from persecuting to being persecuted because of Jesus. He goes from trying to stop the message of Jesus from spreading to helping others become followers of Jesus. And if there's anyone who knows what it means to have Jesus at the center of their life, it's this man, it's Paul. In fact, at the writing of this letter, 
Paul is in prison because of Jesus. He is, he's sitting in a house. <coughs> Most historians would say that he's attached by chains to guards in a house, te- still teaching the truth about Jesus. We, um, we know that this was written at the end of Acts chapter 28, after Paul is arrested in Rome. He spends two years in prison, proclaiming the kingdom and telling everyone about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we'll deal with a little bit more of the history of the church at Colossae next week when we see how the gospel changed their life. But while Paul is in prison there, after Acts 28, at the end of that, um, a man by the name of Epaphras comes into town and comes to tell him about a church that he planted. Epaphras. And in response then, Paul writes this letter back to Colossae. And if you notice in verse one, Paul says that he is writing as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. We get the will of God thing, right? Like we understand that. We can read Paul's story, his his transformation, and we see um, his salvation experience. We understand God's will, that for Paul to be an apostle, you don't get any clearer than that. In fact, just flip over a page or two to 1 Timothy chapter one. I just want you to see this as I... Read it, <clears throat> verse 12, 1 Timothy 1, 12. This is Paul writing again. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed with me um, with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So what we see, he's just telling his testimony that, listen, I was the worst of sinners. I was on the road. I was, I was persecuting. I was killing people who loved Jesus. And Jesus reached down and changed me. That's what Saul says. And so when he writes in Colossians, you can flip back there, Colossians chapter one, when he writes that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, we get that, right? We get why he says that. But have you ever wondered why he always drops that trump card of I'm an apostle? Right? To be clear, an apostle is a, uh, uh, he's considered an official delegate or a representative of, um, or messenger with, to represent someone. He is telling them that, listen, I'm an apostle of Christ, an apostle of Jesus, meaning that what I'm going to tell, tell you is authoritative. His authority is found as an apostle from the real leader, Jesus. Why is this important? Well, probably excuse me, probably more than any other letter that he wrote, it's important because Colossae is just one of two letters that Paul wrote in which he had not been in the city and he did not plant the church. Of course he needs to say that. If we were doing trivia night, I'd ask you, what's the other one? You can come tell me afterwards. He wants them to know his authority. And along with Paul, we see this young man, Timothy, who's one of Paul's closest friends, most trusted co-laborer for Jesus. We're told in Acts chapter 16 
that Paul takes Timothy at the beginning of his second missionary journey. And from that time on, they become this formidable team of ministry. Timothy um, actually is from the same part of the world as Colossae, which is now known as modern-day Turkey. No doubt he would have known this city. Excuse me, in verse 2, this book is written to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. He says that they're faithful brothers, meaning that they're of the same family. He calls them God's holy people. They're saints. They're set apart to be used by God. And then you see those words that they are in Christ. And this is where I want to camp. Just for a few minutes. Because I think this issue of identity, of being in Christ, is so crucial in our society today. See, talking about being in Christ can easily, friends, be one of those Christianese terms that we talk about but yet we don't really grasp, understand how to define it or what does it really mean and for our life today. And so I don't want to just say, hey, you're in Christ, go, walk away. But I want to help us think through, like, what does that really mean? How does that really kind of package for us today? And so I want to give us several meanings of what it means to be in Christ. And so I think there's like five things there in your bulletin if you're taking notes. First is this. That to be in Christ, it means that our position has changed. (coughs) Our position has changed. At the most fundamental level, being in Christ means that we are not who we once were. Our standing before God has changed 2 Corinthians 5.17, you probably know this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Colossians 1.13 that we'll see in a couple weeks. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So we see this shift that takes place, right? That being in Christ, friends, listen. At the moment of saving faith, In Jesus Christ, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of light. Our standing before God is changed. There's something different about us in our status before God. To be in Christ means that God sees us as righteous. He no longer sees us as wicked or sinful, but he sees us wrapped in the righteous robes of Christ. The old has passed away, the new has come. We are new creatures. See, this is at the heart of of so much transformation in our lives, Christians. You are not, listen, (coughs) you are not defined by what someone has done to you. You're defined by what Jesus has done for you because you are in him. Believer, fellow believer in Christ, you are not even defined by what you do, but by what Jesus has done. This is at the core of the gospel. This is the heart of the gospel that so, so, so often we forget I don't know if you guys like football or not, but I don't know if you watched the national championship college football game. And um, There's a quarterback for Clemson. He's pretty good. Not bad. 
true freshman, right, Trevor Lawrence. I don't know if you've seen him being interviewed at all. He said it many, many times. I just picked up one quote that he said. He says, I put my identity in what Christ says, who he thinks I am, and who I know what he says I am. It really does not matter what people think of me or how good they think I play. That does not really matter. That has been a big thing for me in my situation, just knowing that and having confidence in that. In what? That his identity is found in being in Christ, meaning that his identity is found in what, who Christ says that he is. Because why? Because his position has changed. Look, I don't think any of us in this room have played at a level of Trevor Lawrence. Maybe you have some sport, I don't know. But, but we all have people in our lives who have accused us, who demand stuff from us, who demean us, who tell us that we're not doing something right, make us feel small, and even reverse that, right? There are people in our life that praise us based upon some performance that we did when we actually did do it right. And sometimes our emotions and the way we live life and stuff is affected based upon, well, they're down on me and so my emotions are down or, or, or I did some stuff well and so now my emotions are high because people are praising me. And at the end of the day, friends, those things do not define us as Christians. What defines us is our position of being in Christ. What should matter to us is what he thinks of us, not what others think of us. Our, our identity is rooted in a position change from darkness to light, from evil to his good, from standing in opposition to God to being his child. Identity is rooted in our position being changed. Secondly, secondly, it means our loyalty has changed. <coughs> it means our loyalty has changed. So once our position changes, guess what? Our loyalties now change as well. We've been transferred into his kingdom. Our desires for the previous kingdom begin to diminish. 1 Corinthians 6.15 says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. See, what Paul is writing there in 1 Corinthians, it only makes sense that we're members of Christ means that our loyalty is to him. That the believer should not do this because their loyalty is to the one who defines who they are. The member of Christ does not work on behalf of the opposite team. I mean, it's crazy to think that anyone in Cleveland would be a Steelers fan. Right? Sorry, Harry. Now, what are the top rivalries? I mean, you just look at sports stuff. I mean, rivalries, right? And you wonder... There is no rivalry between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. There is none. Because there's only one winner. All the time. 
And for the Christian, our loyalty is to Christ. He is the captain. He defines who we are. Therefore, he has our loyalty. Third is this. It means our confidence has changed. It means our confidence has changed. (coughs) See, when we're in Christ, when we are in him, we have confidence. Friends, listen to this. That nothing can separate us from him. Nothing. We have confidence that the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. So we don't have to run around scared that Jesus is going to kick us off the team. He has spoken and his words are true. He does not lie. We know that nothing can separate us from God when we are in Christ Jesus. This brings hope. This brings confidence. This makes us look at the world differently. And friends, this confidence should bring freedom. This is freedom, right? Our identity in Christ removes fears of failure. Our identity in Christ removes fears of rejection. It removes fears of not doing enough. Think about that. I gotta go serve a church just so that God will like me. No, it's not the gospel. Our confidence of being in Christ, it removes the fears of not doing enough. It removes the fears of losing God's love. It removes the fears of of not being approved by our friends. It removes the fears of being alone. Why? Because Jesus says, I will never leave you and I will never desert you. So let me just apply it to us in just one way, okay? There's numerous ways that we could talk about this, but social media. Anyone ever on social media? I remember having conversations with my kids early on when they started doing it. And they're like, I can't believe it. I posted something and it got 10 likes or 10 hearts, whatever Instagram is. I don't know, what is it? I'm like, like, why do we get so excited? And we post something and only like two people like it, so we delete it. Because we don't want it to show on our timeline that, oh, that post only got two people to like it. What? Like as if we're fishing for approval, right? Let me throw it out there. Well, that wasn't good enough. Let me throw this one out there. Let me, let me fish. I don't know how to fish. Am I doing that right? Aaron. See, our identity in Christ brings the confidence that we don't have to go fishing for acceptance. The one who created everything. The one that we're going to learn in Colossians later on in chapter 1 here, the one who holds the whole world, he holds all things together. Like if he let go, we're flying, like gravity, we're flying off this earth, right? Like he holds everything together. The one, the one who does that, the greatest to ever live, 
Christian, being in Christ, he looks down and says, I've accepted you. Not based on anything that you've done. Nothing. But what I did for you. Listen, friends, that should bring confidence in our relationships with others. It should give us freedom in our social media presence. It should give us Christian hope that nothing we can do will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ. One author said it like this, sometimes we're so weighed down by our sin, losing sight of our identity in Christ that we struggle to believe that God actually and personally loves us. We may believe that God loves the world or he loves individual people in it, but we're less likely to truly believe that God loves us. This is because we struggle to accept that God's love is pure, unmerited, and free. Into this doubt, we're repeatedly brought a freeing truth. Jesus loves you. He cannot love you anymore. He will not love you any less. I've said for years that the hardest concept, the hardest concept to understand is grace. It's so hard. We're confident and we're free. This phrase changes everything, friends. Fourth, it means our relationships have changed quickly. What this means is simply this. We have a new position. Our loyalties are shaped towards him. We have real confidence in who he is. And when we are in Christ, guess what we get? We get a new family. A new family, a spiritual family. Romans chapter 12. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. That's why you stand up at the beginning. Tell someone you love them. Tell someone that you're loved. Listen, you're a body of Christ because you're in him. We could list scripture after scripture after scripture that talks about this this movement of, of loving Jesus but not the church. Listen, it can't happen. It can't. Over and over, Jesus says in the scriptures, if you don't love my followers, you don't love me. Fifth and lastly, it means our walk is changing. Notice the difference there. It means our walk is changing. So when your position changes, when your loyalty is shifted, when you have this confidence in his love, when your relationships are shaped by being in Christ, Guess what happens? <coughs> Our orientation towards sinful behavior starts to change. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means that being in Christ, we have different desires to walk in obedience to him. Now, friends, listen, please note the order here. His love for us changes us towards obedience. It's not that we move towards obedience brings a change in his love towards us. We don't change because we have to, in order to earn his favor. We're already in him. And so what happens then is in response to his love that changes our walk of obedience. Go home today and read Romans chapter six, okay? That's your, one of your homework assignments. And just look at, like, what does it mean that we're baptized in Christ Jesus? And it changes our perspective. It changes everything in our response to sin in our life. Like the shackles of sin have been broken and now we have this new allegiance so we can follow him. We can actually follow him. 
the one that we're in. So our identity in Christ is just one small blimp of what we're going to see in our study in Colossians. What Jesus did and what he promised to his people come front and center throughout this book. All building to this so that Jesus would be preeminent. What does that mean? It means that Jesus would be first. In fact, one of my favorite passages that we'll see in a couple weeks, but it's, it's all building to this, that he is preeminent. Friends, he is first. The problem is we don't recognize him as first. It's not that we make him first. You get that? We never make Jesus first. He is first. We acknowledge the reality that he is. So this is what's coming. Let me just give you a quick preview real quick. Uh, next week, verses three through eight, we're gonna see the gospel that Epaphras preached, the gospel that he learned, most likely in Ephesus, I think. <coughs> he takes and he preaches this gospel focused front and center on Jesus and he takes it to his homeland, to his home, a city that leads to the planting of a church. It's amazing. Colossians 1, 9 through 12, in two weeks, we're gonna see that there's a way to pray with a focus on Jesus and his will for our lives. Instead of having prayers focused so much on us, what would it look like to dive into what he wants for us as the true shepherd, right? Colossians 1, 13 through 20, really the heartbeat of the book. Jesus is God. He is savior. He is creator. He is the center of all things. He is, as we just said, preeminent. And the list can keep going on and on and on. If I could just encourage you one way. Okay, one thing to do, read the book of Colossians. Okay, we try and make a commitment to read along with us. As we st study this, it's four chapters. It'll take you 10 minutes. Read it once a week for the next couple months. Okay, track along and read it. I study it along with us. Ask good questions. Um, answer study questions that are in the bulletin um, with your family, with your small group. But above all, Put the focus and the attention on Jesus. Listen, friends, he is who our church needs more than anything and anyone. One of my favorite men of the faith is Charles Spurgeon. If, in my home, I have this um, framed picture of him. At the bottom of that picture, there's a quote <clears throat> that's meant so much to me. It's appropriate, I think, to share as we're kind of looking at new building. And I think the next couple of weeks being in here fully. Spurgeon had been the pastor of a church in London for many years and the crowd so overwhelmed their church that they needed to build a new church. Many of you might know this story, I don't know. Um, but, but this new church was built so that more people could come and hear him preach each week. The Sunday finally came, he stepped into the pulpit for the first time in his new church building, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Here were his first words, he said. He said, I would propose that the subject of the ministry of this house, as long as this platform shall stand, and as long as this house shall be frequented by worshipers, shall be the person of Jesus Christ. I am never ashamed to avow myself a Calvinist. I do not hesitate to take the name of a Baptist. But if I am asked what is my creed, I reply, it is 
is Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come this morning, um, I pray our hearts are focused upon Jesus. And even as we, as we read those words, Lord, we want this to be about him. It's about him. We lift high your son, Father, Jesus Christ. So much that's going on in our world, and there's so much that's going on in our little world here at Leroy Chapel. Father, what we need more than anything is a, man, just a real vivid picture of who Jesus is. Lord, we know that all we have is Christ. At the end of the day, that's it. And so may our hope, our attention, our desires, our focus be put on him. And so thank you. I just pray that as we even study this book, together as a church, that our hearts are drawn more alignment to who he is for, for our good and for your glory. Amen.